Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to more Tales in Our Times. My name's Janet. Or Mum, actually, sorry. And my name's George. Or son, although don't call me that in the street. It won't go well. What, son? Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> okay, maybe that might be good, but... Sounds kind of cute. Um, it's a little cute. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. I like that it's... That's what we do now. It's we do the whole spectrum of... <laughs> it's every single one. We never... We're never like, which one might be right? Don't care. It's for everybody. Good... Good day to you, dear listeners. Good day. Um, and we have a surprise today on our episode. This wasn't, um, this was sort of a last minute adjustment. We're coming towards the, uh, last episodes of the season. So we thought we'd spice it up a little bit and welcome a special guest. Our second guest ever. Our second guest ever. Some people did say it was when they when they got wind of this coming down the pike, they did say it was uh, a bit of nepotism. And, and we have to say that's true. That's 100 percent accurate. That's the only reason she's here. <laughs> it is our favorite. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hey, Becky. Or. Yeah, do you want us to give you any sort of a code name? We could do like uh like Ritz. I, I was going to say I didn't know if you wanted to names. say like we're we're just doing full government names on here. Hey, Mike, <laughs> if you could drop the last name, if you could just cut the last name. This is just Becky. Um just put a funny sort of bleep sound <laughs> or, or whatever you want. Yeah, make a duck sound and then hit the dunk duck with a hammer. Um, hey, Becky. That's, Sorry, I didn't hey. mean to narc on you. That's fine. Good evening, Rebecca, my daughter. Good evening. Hello, mother. Yes, this is another one of the tales in our times. One of the generation literature, as we once described it. Uh, this is Becky, my sister, and mum's daughter. Yep, both those things. Um, would you say you are a lover of tales in our or your times do you like a good story yes yes for sure why is that then big reader <laughs> it was my turn <laughs> um, being rude probably because of the environment i grew up in same as george it was a very story heavy upbringing and then also it was what I went to school for. So, ah, yeah. you know, oh, either I liked it that. or I could. Or too bad. <laughs> or too bad. Like, <laughs> they accepted me to the program too late. <laughs> Sorry about your luck. Well, we're really glad to have accepted you onto our program this evening, afternoon, morning, Rebecca. Yay! I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the program. I'm so excited. Um, we're going to move. I know that you've. I know you've listened to our show, so you know the order we go through. We're going to just uh, check in on our reading. So I'm still working on the flight from The Enchanter by Iris Murdoch. I'm also still finishing up on um, the return of uh, Faraz Ali, which is, is going great guns, but it is quite hard hitting, I will say. Some of the scenes in it are a bit, ooh, ah, but it's great. Um, so that's what I'm at at the moment. George, what about you? I started a new book recently. So first, I have to talk about this. I know we, we try and keep the intros nice and snappy whenever we have a guest, <laughs> you know, because we're always having guests nowadays. Um, but I do have to talk about the book that I was uh, I did for our last reading check in Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. I finished that over the course uh, between the last two episodes. And I just have to bring it up and say, it is one of the best novels ever written. It is like so profoundly beautiful. Um, I would highly recommend anyone who has a chance to read it, anyone who just likes language. It's very beautiful. And I was repeatedly stunned by Baldwin's ability to succinctly explain very varied emotional situations you know the 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 
impossibilities of love and that sort of concept come up a lot. The idea that you can feel great affection and great negativity for one person. It's it's just, I, I had to really shout it out because I had such a great time with it. And Yeah, I'm getting that. I burned through it. Uh, and then immediately started another one. I started She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. It is a reimagining of the founding emperor of the Ming dynasty's like rise to power. Um, and it's just phenomenal. Talking about uh, last week we talked about, or no, next week we talked about our... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Some oh so actually this is a call ahead then I haven't talked about Giovanni's room at all it's so coming up I read I read Giovanni's room in the future and it's so good <laughs> so good I, I love that um, we are time travelers I never knew that but we also we had a conversation about like the first scenes the first lines of books and this book starts with a little girl starving out in the uh, like wilderness in a hut with her father and brother and she is treated very poorly because she's deprioritized over the brother in like a very male centric kind of way um, and the survivalness of this main character is amazing so loving that I'm about 100 pages in well Becky and I both brought sad faces at that that sounds a bit sad don't you think Bex but compelling I'll I'll say this much, she comes out alive. Yay! And like a beast, too. So, Rebecca, what was the most uh, recent thing that you read that sort of sticks out in your mind? The last story that I read, I just finished reading, um, like, a collection of all of the issues of Batman The Long Halloween. Oh, nice! by uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. What's it called? Batman Around Halloween? It's a... Um, <laughs> well, I mean, is it is it a comic or is it a graphic novel? I think it's a comic. I think it counts as a comic. Oh, it's Batman's holiday album from when money was really tight and he was doing <laughs> Batman Around Halloween. It was the mash. Spooky, it was the Batman mash. The monster Batman mash. <laughs> Monster Batman mash. It's like a CD from Big Lots that's for Halloween <laughs> soundtracks that you just play. I think we had that. I think we had that CD. <laughs> but it's also like Batman's lounge album. Also has the Lego Movie song on there. Okay. Darkness. <laughs> okay, I'm bringing it back. <laughs> no parents. <laughs> so oh, okay, yeah, then. so that's what you I read just read. Batman at Halloween. <laughs> I read the whole album. What was it called? It's Batman the Long Halloween. Okay, Batman the Long Halloween. George, you can tell me if this is right. It was a big influence on the Nolan movies, like the Nolan version of Batman. Oh, I don't know about that. Was it? I don't know. Oh, man, I was looking for confirmation. I think he did the introduction for the edition that I read. Um, and I haven't seen the Nolan Batman movies, so I just did this instead. Okay. That's a good... <laughs> I, You know what? Nine times out of ten, I'd rather read the book than uh, watch the film. So, Becky's reading a comic book about Batman. Awesome. We were just talking about comic books. We were talking about comic books. I know. <laughs> did you listen to that episode? <laughs> you came prepared. I did, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have a comic book and I'm going to finish it. It's about Halloween and I'm going to finish it before Halloween. But then I don't know how time works in this podcast, <laughs> so maybe I won't mention a season. Yeah. We are very time agnostic. Our episodes come out <laughs> out of order way after the day we record and we reference things that are like other timelines. Wait, what is time? So I think that's us for a reading check-in. Can I take us on the news? Sure, go mm -hmm. ahead, George. Mm -hmm. Take us on the news. I'm on it's the just news. something I'm cool and interesting. Yeah. So we want to, you know, shout out once again, the WGA have successfully come to an agreement. Um, I, I don't know if they're still voting or if there's still deliberation. I'm not a member of the union, but it's a historic moment nonetheless. And SAG-AFTRA and uh, a lot of the VFX workers are still on strike. So just crossing our fingers. Oh, and uh, who else? There was another large group of strikers besides the auto workers recently anyway strikes abound kaiser permanente yes thank you so much kaiser permanente the nurses walked out because 
the conditions are awful. Um, but so keep your eyes on the strikes, keep your eyes on the skies. In the more literature news or literatural, literal churcher, um, the liturgical? liturgical news. No, put your hand down, Mum. We're talking about the Nobel Prize. Uh, the Nobel Prize for Literature was announced. Uh, it was awarded to Jon Olav Fossey, um, or maybe Fossey. It was he was given it for his incredible work with jazz hands. Uh, <laughs> no, it was for his innovative plays and prose, which give voice to the unsayable. Um, I had not heard of this author before uh, this the announcement was made, but I'm very interested in reading some of his works now. Uh, in the research for this, we found one in particular, Elise at the Fire, uh, is about an old woman, uh, Signe, Signe, I don't know how to say that name, I'm sorry, dreaming of her life 20 years earlier with her husband, Asle, also don't know how to say that, who rode out into the lake one day and never came back. Very scary sounding. Uh, the story has been referred to typically bleak for his style with a blackness structured around the grip of ancestral history. Not, not least of all for the fact that her grandparents with the same name as her and her partner met the same fate of drowning in the past. It's been called hypnotic and mysterious. So that's at least at the fire by Jan Olav. Definitely not Fosse. Uh, congratulations. I mean, just even the subject of that story sounds hard to write about, so I know you're good. Oh, go on then, I suppose, if you've raised your <laughs> I hand. I did want to just say that um, I hadn't heard of this author before, and I have read some um, Norwegian. So I've read some um, Norwegian writers in, in the past, but I haven't come across this one. And um, I think from when, uh, when we did that podcast on noir fiction... We did actually Southern Noir, but Southern Noir particularly, particularly but yeah. we looked at different types of Noir. I think that this is um, what is considered Nordic Noir, just saying, because it's quite dark. Or even Nordic. Noir Nordic. Nordic. All right. We stop saying dick, please. Wow, You're getting, getting a bit dicky. Stinky faces. Weirdo. <laughs> Ew. So that's my news. That's all I got. Do you have any news, Mum? I do. But I've got a couple of things. Rebecca, do you, would you like to take one of our news items? Because we've got two more. We do like to split these things um, evenly. Would you like to take the next one? Can you see it? Uh, yes, I can. So we've got a note here about... Oh, this last... So whether we recognise time or not. Yes, that's right. Do labour for us. Come on our show and do our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so in this timeline... We've just finished Band Book Week and Carl Hyacin. Hooray, Band Books. Hooray, Band Books. Uh, Carl Hyacin, who is a uh, probably one of the most well-known current Florida-based authors or authors about Florida I subjects. can't think of another one besides um, T-Pain. <laughs> uh, so Carl Hyacin got canceled from a school book talk because the main character of his new book wrecker was pro-vaccination whoa why whoa. why would that make you want to remove him i don't get it <laughs> i mean what? uh well i got something to add to my to be read list yeah? for sure also uh rebecca just a side question did you ever consider a wrestling career with the name wrecker because it's sort of close to your name and rebecca the wrecker wrecker rebecca makes it sound like breakfast all right Oh, I knew this was going to be hard work having both of you in one recording. It was just like going to... Yeah, because I'm crazy. This shit is getting real, as they say. Um, this was your idea. Okay, so that was a bit of a downer. <laughs> you are. That was a bit of a downer that, um, you know, people want to take Carl Harrison out of public or school libraries for stupid reasons. And even then, I, I think it's a stupid idea. We've talked about it before. I'm not going to dwell on it because I've got something cooler to add in the news on the flip side 
Speaking of banned books. Speaking of banned books. Speaking as a banned book reader. Um, <laughs> a booker. Yeah. Well, yeah, we do give a book for banned books. But um, so on the flip side, in South Florida, a 16 year old Iris Mogul, who's from Coral Beach, uh, created her own banned book club. And the quote for reading, for setting up was, she said, I wanted to start it, one, just to create a community to talk about beautiful writing. Love that. That's outstanding. And two, as an act of resistance. Awesome. What? Let's go. Also, you were destined for greatness with a name like Iris Mogul. Like, she rocks. I love her already. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's very good. I think that's our <laughs> next president, which is crazy because she's 16. <laughs> So that's gonna a lot of laws you know, are gonna change. Fair play for um the the lawmakers of tomorrow, who knows, standing up for what they think is right. I love that. Acts of resistance. That's awesome. Okay. So we do have a guest, so I'm not gonna spend the next, you know, forever and a day talking about the history of our topic today, which is Young adult literature, which is something that I come up with a lot of the time because um, I've spent a lot of my time in young adult literature. Perhaps I never graduated out of it. I don't know. But um, <laughs> because we've got a guest, obviously, they're much more interesting to talk to than we are to waffle on about, you know, years of history. It's very boring. So, well, it's not boring, oh. but it, it does go on a bit. It's time consuming. It's yeah, just hard. We'd rather to, be chatting. Know. See what other people think. Anyway, so we are talking about YA today, um, and we will get Rebecca's responses to some YA matters, hopefully. But uh, I'm happy to say that the thing that is always cropping up in these episodes that I don't like is not cropping up today, and I will not say it, but you know what I mean when I say it all started with the... Mm. Well, it didn't. This didn't. So there we go. All right. Oh. So it's okay if I bring them up. You don't need to bring them up. You don't, you don't want to talk about You don't need to because they're not in this play. They're not in this story. Oh. You know who they are. No, you're not in this episode. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Okay. So, but like I say, I'm doing a skimming history, so I'm a. So you're talking about the ancient Greeks. Oh, George! <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! I didn't want to talk yes. about them. Well, they're not relevant anyway, so poo-poo to them. Um, so I'm talking about young adult uh, literature today. Uh, if uh, Quoting uh, an academic called Matthew Orville Gremby, who was writing from the University of Newcastle in the UK, uh, a document called The Origin of Ch Children's <laughs> Literature. I'm going to say it again, Matthew Orville Gremby. Nice. Um, the Origins of Children's Literature, written in 2014, and he said at the beginning of the 18th um, century, very few enjoyable books for children existed. Ooh. But children read. Hurrah! But the books mm. they enjoyed reading or listening to weren't designed especially for them. Um, he continues to say that they had access to fables, fairy stories, um, affordable pamphlet tales that were published for adults and children alike but there was nothing that was targeted towards them um in 1802 there was a british uh, writer and educational reformer sarah trimmer who set up so she recognized young adults as a specific age group and she said that age was 14 to 21 and she said um there were like two categories books for children which was under 14-year-olds, books for young persons were 14 to 21-year-olds. Um, and in some uh, quarters, I believe those terms are still used. Um, like I said, I'm trying to move on. Yes, George, you have your hand up. You may ask a question. It just made me think a little bit about Orbis Pictus. You remember? Okay. Orbis Pictus was that, like, uh, it was, it translates to the visual world i think yeah by it was by that guy comenius yes remember he had the cool name it was for kids whoa, whoa, okay. whoa, 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 whoa. what year was that it was in 1658 oh okay but Definitely. it's a textbook 
Yeah, that's what I, I was remember. thinking about because there aren't there. Aren't, it's not we're not getting like reading for pleasure for kids. Yes, Becky, next hand. Mum, was your panic that you were worried George was taking it to ancient Greece because there was an Eus at the end of the name? <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You you can see I'm I'm so predictable. Thanks, Bex. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't right. see it. I didn't know what was happening. That's what I thought he was going for. I thought he was doing it just no, to me. He wouldn't do that. No, no. John Amos was just a stone cold Oh, I guess this is his full name was John Amos Comenius. Oh his MC name? Anyway. Sorry, Mum. Go on. Okay, so moving on. Um and so Historically, adults and children weren't considered greatly different and didn't get different treatment. Um, and teenagers as a demographic didn't become that significant until around World War II, which lined up with psychological and sociological changes. I'm speaking really fast. I apologise because I want to get through this. Um, but sociological changes such as the abolishment of child labour. And with this change, sort of creators began chain marketing consumer goods such as clothes, music, films, books, um, towards that demographic, teenagers, young adults, and it became oh. a hugely profitable industry, right? It's all about money. Money, 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 money. But how's that work, though? Because kids don't have any money. No. Book fairs. Oh, yeah. I did take a lot of your money for book fairs. It still works. Dang. I'm a part of the problem. <laughs> Um, there were authors during the 18th and late 18th, early 19th century whose books were not targeted at younger audience, but they appealed to them anyway. Think of authors, some we've mentioned before, Mark Twain, his Huckleberry Finn, uh, Tom Sawyer books, Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island, Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, um, all books that weren't specifically written for adult, uh, for young people. Thank you. Um, but they appealed to them. And the Alice in Wonderland books were credited with opening an era of children's literature that was not simply didactic or trying to get a, a message or a lesson across, but aimed at delighting or entertaining. We love that. I love books that are entertaining and delightful. I just love That's that. That's what we were talking about. It's fun. Yeah. So you've got to love a good book like that. So... Um, despite this shift, and we're talking um, the uh, early 1900s, I think, at this point, um, young adult stuff wasn't, it was slow to be accepted by librarians and educators. Um, but in 1942, some call uh, 17th Summer, the first YA novel published by 17-year-old Maureen Daly, who wrote about underage drinking, driving and depression. Things what? haven't changed that much. How have I not heard of this or read it? <laughs> yeah, Maureen, Maureen Daly. Yeah, I mean, I haven't. Where have you been, Maureen? <laughs> so I would definitely be looking that one up. Um, down the gin shop. Down the gin and then shop. Up the road. <laughs> yes. So um, that was 1942. I think that's pretty. Um, I mean, that was almost like a slap in the face when I read that. So you like those? I'm, like I say, I'm sort of jumping. Through this. Go on, Rebecca, what you say? You're like there's teenage mess literature that I've never heard of. <laughs> no, I thought I'd read it all. Obviously, that's not true. Nobody can have it all. But anyway, moving on into the 50s and 60s, there were some books that were written again, not aimed at that youth market, but definitely very appealing books like Catcher in the Rye with all that, you know, um Holden Caulfield angst and you know who am i what do i want why can't yeah that's I... the one about the baseball player in the bread shop catch <laughs> i see what you did there catcher in the rye yeah that's right baseball i'm always reading yeah. books on baseball <laughs> moving on so catcher in the rye has always <laughs> been a draw for adolescents um lord of the rings written in the mid 1950s uh fantasy loved by young and old but it's often found in the young adult section of libraries. But it is not on high school reading lists. Some say due to the tough vocabulary. Is that true? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, moving into the 1960s, A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Langle. I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. It sounds sort of French. 
Um, after getting 26 rejections, she finally got um, Wrinkle in Time published. And it's found in library sections for young adult readers. But hmm, it's a debatable thing. Is it for adults? Is it for children? She is quoted as saying that um, it took her so long to get published because it deals with issues of evil. Ooh. And that's that's the quote. So I don't I I don't ah. I'm not sure. Do, do either of you we remember? Don't, we really don't want our kids reading about morality. That would be a terrible thing to try and pass right. on well, to them. Who knows? Well, so I just want to uh, pull back the curtain here a little bit and let the readers know what you had written in your notes for Wrinkling Time. <laughs> it says, "So I'm uh, embarrassed." No, I think it's hilarious. I, I think it's good it, writing. Right? I think it proves you're a comedy genius. Yeah, it's good writing. No, it's not. Uh, Wrinkle in Time is found in library sections for YA readers, but is it for adults or children? And then you just have evil? Question mark? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for that. Thank you it's for that. Way, you know, I remember reading that book. I thought it was evil, too. Did you, was it, did you find it scary, per you? I found I found a wrinkle in time a little bit scary in the same way that I did the never ending story, which I think probably means I just read it too early. Interesting as to anything because I was for a long time as a kid, I, I carried fear like for a long time, like I could not consume stories of scary stuff or else it would consume my everyday. Um, so I think reading those books, I go like. What's the what's the scene in the never ending story when they're like dragged down into the pit of sadness or whatever? Don't know. S accidentally scary stories abound in YA and I think it's kind of a uh, might just be part of the deal. Do you remember reading it, Rebecca? I haven't read it. Okay, fair play. Not as like a statement. Okay. Well, I think maybe I just, I didn't get further than the title and thought maybe it would be boring. It's very exciting. I know, and it, it deals with things that I got really interested in later, but... Like evil. You can never go back. <laughs> <laughs> you can never go back. Once you miss your window for a read, it's too late. No more. Move on. Yeah, they take the book away. <laughs> okay. That's what I've heard. Uh, 1957, the Young Adults Library Service Association was created, uh, still in existence today, I believe, and they evaluate and select materials for young adults. You know, but I'm not sure how I feel about that, but okay. Um, and then, again, you know, going back to the 1960s, um, young adult literature was a genre that kind of came into its own. Books like Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, um, mm. which I think a lot of people have read by the end of middle school in a lot of um, school districts. Stay um, gold, pony boy. What was that? Becky didn't. Oh, man, guys. <laughs> We're just, <laughs> we actually <laughs> brought you on here to dunk on you. Like, oh, you didn't read this You didn't book read either? this book? No. You didn't read that book? You didn't read, <laughs> no, you didn't but read these pivotal American texts. classics? Yeah. <laughs> In the genre I think that you said you liked. The Outsiders, um, I think, was written as a young adult book looking at the darker side of adolescence, you know, and, and that sort of is a theme with adolescence. Let's, let's face it, when are you going to be most miserable? Mm. Middle school up through the end of high school, probably. But also, um, along with um, Catcher in the Rye, the baseball player in the bread thing, um, <laughs> we got Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Birds Sing, which was published in 1969, was an adult book, definitely, but it was written about her early life. And so I think it mm. attracts a lot of adolescent readers. Certainly, I would put myself in that category. Um, and it is one of 10 books most af often banned in high schools. <laughs> Fun fact for you there. <laughs> it means it's, got, it's a book you got to read. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, all yeah. that tells you. And a similar case with Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. It was written for adults, but you find me an 18-year-old who hasn't read it or at least dipped into it at some point and... Well, I guess we'll find some very well-rounded human beings. But um, <laughs> I had to read it. Whatever. <laughs> um, mention an author, Alan Garner, a British fantasy writer, wrote a series of books um, 
that were for children. But the quote I, I wanted to mention was um, this critic, Neil Phillips, said uh, that the line between children's literature and adult literature in the case of uh, Alan Garner is possibly the fact that that line is is meaningless because you can't you can't really establish if you read the stories they were written and published as um children's literature but they they still appeal to adult uh, readers so fair play to that um another florida resident judy blue author of are you there god it's me margaret 1970 i think it's one of her most famous books if uh, but she has she is prolific i think judy bloom she's got like I don't know what the number is, but a lot of books, right? Becky, you you Judy Bloom fan? Yeah, although I I haven't read the one Judy Bloom title that you mentioned. Do you remember <laughs> any that you have read? I don't know. I'm questioning everything at this point. <laughs> Love having guests. Have on. you even read a book? <laughs> Can you read? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm going to dip on because then we are actually going to have some Q&A time because I don't want to spend. So as you can see, like why is developed over a period of time. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You've got something in the. Yes. Yes. Raise your hand, please. Thank Continue. you. <laughs> we, on, we only speak in turns on this podcast. <laughs> Which is you said you, um, there is some cool stuff about Judy Bloom that you made. Oh, earlier. yeah. Do you want to read it? No. What? I haven't earned it yet. Now she's running the show? What's going on here? <laughs> this is my so, show. Okay, the monkeys so, are running the circus. <laughs> Judy Bloom was one of the first YA authors to address topics or um, issues, I don't know, subjects such as masturbation, menstruation, teen sex. That always rhymes, actually. Masturbation and menstruation. Interesting. Teen sex, birth control, and death. And so because the fact that she was willing to... Uh, dive into those uh, subjects, it really kind of opened up the playing field, if you like, of what was available for young people to read and things that actually related to them in their lives and their headspace, what was weird or difficult or I don't know the answer kind of thing. And, and we talk about that a lot, about seeing your life and your concerns reflected in literature and how that can make a difference. So, Right, things that you need to have like reflected to you, even if they're not in your surroundings immediately. Go Judy Bloom. Go Judy. Go Bloom. Judy Bloom. Go Judy Bloom. Okay. Quick mention: Ursula Le Guin's *A Wizard of Earthsea* was published in 1968. It was a story about a uh, little boy who goes to a wizard school and makes an enemy with someone he has a close connection to. That's all I'm going to say hey, about that. What? I'm going to leave it open. <laughs> Wait. Wait a minute. What? What? You're telling me? Wait, they, they, they he goes to a wizard school. What's it called? Pig. Farts? It doesn't doesn't have a name, and it wasn't. This book wasn't written for adults or children specifically, but uh, for well, was children over the age of ten is what it was specified. To. Margaret Atwood is quoted as saying that it could be read by children over the age of twelve. I don't know how people put numbers on these things. Like it's got. This word count, so... Um, also, Margaret Atwood said that about an Ursula Le Guin book? Yeah. Maybe mind your business, dog. <laughs> I don't think you can say that about Margaret Atwood, George. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> Just put it in the okay. form of an email. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so, in the 1970s and 80s, young adult fiction continued addressing the interests directly of this identified adolescent market... Um, you know, again, it's all about money. Um, in 1980s, there were books dealing with rape, suicide, death, things that were previously considered taboo, now reaching significant success. Also alongside of that, there was adolescent romance on the increase alongside the increase of that as an adult genre. So, yeah. Young adult literature goes across all the genres and... It, you know, um, I think that uh, the transition to adulthood is something that really requires some kind of outlet for young people to digest and understand what's going on in their world. 
Um, mm. You know, understanding real life problems, what's going on in society. So um, I think that it's a really good vehicle for that. Um, mm. uh, and I am like getting to the end in case you're bored or falling asleep or if you do want to say something important. Um, but the mm. boundaries between children's literature, young adult literature and adult literature is very flexible. And ultimately, people will read what they want to read. They will find a way. They will find a hiding place so nobody can tell them, no, you cannot read that. And But it is often policed by, you know, the political and cultural climate. We've talked about this before. Our good old friend down there in Florida was, was throwing different legislation about what people should have access to and what they shouldn't. You know, the people who are responsible, because primarily we're worried about children, young people, the people who are responsible for those young people, children, they're adults. They should make the decisions, and I think it should end there. That's my opinion. Um, I did just want to say that we talked about the way that this is uh, cut up children's and adults' literature. You know, ages 8 through 12, it's called middle-grade fiction, things like Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson. You go 12 through 18, young adult novels, including The Hunger Games, Alex Ryder. The difference between those two is... Um, Young adult literature tends to be a little bit more mature and is aimed at a specific age group, i.e. 14 through 18-year-olds. Um, and then there is a new, well, it's, it's new to me, it's not new, a new specification called new adult fiction. It's a developing genre aimed at 18 through 29-year-olds and was coined by the Martin Press in 2009 and says it focuses on older young adults um, issues such as uh, leaving home, sexuality. Um, and as with any genre, there's a lot of controversy associated with young adult lit. Um, various interest groups object to the use of sexuality, violence, bad language, mm. and self-harm. In the future, as always, what we're looking for is more diversity in young people's literature and what they've got available to them. 2006, 2016, the UK, 90% of best-selling YA literature have main characters who are white, able-bodied, cisgendered and heterosexual. Only 8% included people of colour. A survey in 2007 showed a 10% increase of minority protagonists. I hope that that trend will continue. And that's it. Let's talk to Becky. <laughs> Hang on. Can I just say? Yes. Not that I'm. I love. I sorry. The timing for this is terrible because now it seems like I'm going to refute your thing, calling for more diversity. Can I just say? Uh, Are you no, about to say uh, less wanna, diversity? No, I'm going back a little further. Was what I was trying to say. I'm going to go back Gotta to that it. new adult thing. Don't ask me why. I hate it. I don't know. I have no idea why. I just. I feel like. The only reason there even is a distinction for YA, and this is not the one of us who's done the research, so please don't take this seriously as an opinion. Um, but I, I, the only reason you would ever want to like delineate YA is to not like overburden a developing person with like things that they don't have the capacity to deal with or the maturity to deal with. Once that's over, though, I feel like you should you should be reading to develop that. I saw there was an excellent. Um, oh, I can't remember now. Uh, someone wrote a really great piece about negative criticism and in it uh, they write about like the ways in which we like divide ourselves like in group out group and one of them being that like you know people a lot of people say oh the classics are too unapproachable they're not they don't have uh accessible enough language and then other people say that like ya and genre fiction even uh are perpetrating poor literature because they don't focus on the language as much as they focus on the story or in YA's case they are being accused of simplifying the language I don't I don't know I love so this bit about negative criticism I'll try and find it and post it in the books mentioned list just so that I'm properly crediting but um 
But I don't know how I feel about, you know, the idea is that neither of the divisions are correct. There are exceptions to every rule. And what you're doing by waiting in and out of that Venn diagram is you're developing taste. So instead of talking about it or instead of like trying to prepare for it by reading another stopgap genre that like holds you into a certain maturity level you are beginning that journey it doesn't matter if you pick up Dostoevsky and put it down because that's fine but you know or a wrinkle in time or a wrinkle (laughs) in time there's nothing wrong with not having read a wrinkle in time in case anyone was wondering okay thank you thank you I will read anyway, it. we <laughs> liar. <laughs> uh, we can move on to the Q and A. I just wanted to. That was something I was thinking about when you talked about it. Is there any, Mum? I don't know if you would have this, um, having worked in schools, but is there any point to the categories of fiction for legislation? Like, is it easier to make rules about books if they're categorized as for young readers? Um, you mean rules like, oh, you can read this or you can't read that or you can get this book in your library or what do you mean? What sort yeah, of rules? Yeah, like it, like it feels, now that I'm saying it out loud, it feels goofy, but, um, you know, like from the news section, we know that Florida and other places are invested in keeping certain books away from young readers on, on that side of the argument for their, I don't know, protection. Um, is there any, is there any, like, are they able to do that because something is called a young adult or young person's book? No, I don't think that's how it works. And I couldn't uh, swear to this, but I, from what I understand, the way that they get books, um, so there's a difference. There's two things that can happen. They can withdraw books from libraries or a government and I'm not sure what agency it would be, can say this this book cannot be published in this country because it's so outrageous, right? So those are two separate things. But we call, even books that are withdrawn from circulation, we still call them banned books. They're not really banned. They're just not available in public places all the time, right? But I, so I think the way it happens is that people see it in a library, you know, parents hear that their kids are going to be reading I don't know, monster or, um, you know, something. Gender queer. Yeah, whatever. And they go, oh, you can't read this. It's bad. I mean, I think there were objections to Harry Potter from like religious groups and things. Mm-hmm. And so they complain to the school board and they the school boards have to do something about it, especially if there's a whole bunch of parents complaining about it. And depending on the school district or the state, you know, what the, the political and cultural uh, climate is at the time determines whether or not, um, you know, they will remove those books. So I, I don't I don't think, you know, that sort of like, oh, it's YA, oh, it's um, middle grade readers. That doesn't actually determine it. I don't even consider that. I think that is used just as a guideline for people who are responsible for recommending books, like teachers, librarians, whatever, and um and young readers to pick something that is going to be accessible to them, not just because of the subject matter, but, you know, also whatever their reading level is, is a valid thing, especially the younger they are. George. But I think also to Becky's point, you see people trying to exploit YA books, like the, the children's side of it you're like people get upset about books being accessible to kids and that gives them a reason to like go on a culture war about it yeah like it's it is i don't think it's currently used in a legislative way becky and i you know that's probably for the best um but i think certainly people like the people who are trying to ban books all over will look at YA as a genre and say, well, you can't have this because it's the children. You can't have this because think of the children and you can't have this because you're not making my kids gay. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like, it's sort of like that. Yeah. Which is stuff we've talked about before. You know, the fact that if you read something about, you know, one of those populations that's other, whether they're gay or trans or, um, black or brown or um you know uh 
girl doing a boy's job or whatever, something out of, I don't know, not, I don't want to use the word norm, but that's what I mean. Um, people just go, oh, that's catching. <laughs> you know, like, you know, people who are pro-vaccination, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's my goodness. Catchy. You better not get the vaccine and hang out around me. I don't want to catch it. You're going to get cancelled from some book fairs. Whatever. Anyway, so um, we I did rattle on a lot longer than I thought, but we have had some good chats. But I do want to focus um, on Rebecca. What, George? Becky. Yeah, Becky. Some trumpets there, Michael. Something. Um, so we, we put some questions together. George, do you want to um, jump in and do quick? Queer and A, Q and A, Q No. Queer and A. Queer and A. Queer and answers. Becky, what YA novel let you know? With your sister. What, Becky? What YA novel did you read that infected you with the gay? We all know all books are infectious for liberalism and progressivism. Sorry, no, I'm just kidding. Mum made some very horrified faces at that, but I was just joshing. Uh, do you, what kind of what YA narratives stand out to you in your memory, Specs? Um, honestly, the gay ones. <laughs> ah, they were right all along. They're turning the freaking frogs gay. Was it Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> the frogs on the lily pads were all being gay. Yeah. Okay, so what book specifically, Rebecca? Uh, what stand out in your mind as your sort of young adult reading, like early teens or mid-teens? There were, um, so I think whether it was books that I was gravitating towards or just the like trend in publishing at the time, I kind of remember the fiction I was reading at different ages falling into different, um, you know, like, subjects like I remember in elementary school in the 90s there was a lot of fiction it felt like there was a lot of fiction or memoir based on um, the subject of the holocaust Um, and then there were a lot of stories about either teen or preteen heroines in you know either historical or um, imagined like fantasy or contemporary survival kind of situations, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think probably happens over and over again. One that stood out to me was Running Out of Time by Margaret Peterson Haddix. Ah. And I remember that. I don't know that Because years later... I know her name. What was it about? So it was about... A teenage girl living in a village that has a diphtheria outbreak. Oh. Um, and she thinks that she's living in oldie times, but then it turns out it's actually the mid-90s. And so she Whoa. gets sent to the present. <laughs> oh, more time travel. Time travel. And then um, <laughs> for the earlier stuff, what's wild is the book cover for running out of time is like seared in my memory oh sorry um i was gonna say the devil's arithmetic oh the devil's arithmetic yeah but i'm looking at the wikipedia entry for it and it says that the main character is a preteen so i don't know if that fits in the the (laughs) you know what we'll we'll allow it Mm. but again um time slip fiction because that character then goes back in time um and is in a death camp during the Holocaust. Oh my gosh. I do remember that book. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but for gay stuff, yes, I remember, um, I don't know if it was that I was actively looking for gay stuff. I think there's something to be said for uh, the for looking. comment about young adult fiction having questions of evil or maybe like aberrant (laughs) behavior because maybe young adulthood is wherever you're kind of figuring out your morality or like what's normal. And I remember, I remember reading name me nobody by Lois Ann Yamanaka 
about a high schooler in Hawaii and the main character isn't queer, but she's close friends with someone who is, I think, in the process of coming out. And so she's just kind of like negotiating the space of what does it mean for like you to be my friend, but also now you're starting to like see people of the same gender and like, you know, all these kind of, all these kind of like, just kind of what does the shape of my world mean questions, I think are big in YA fiction. That's like a lot of sort of confusing questions as well. I remember in middle school having to, we were reading like a a book as a classroom and we had to stop reading it because there was either from a student or from the student's parents, there was a, a protest. It, the book was protested. Whoa. And so the teacher decided to we stop reading it. We did grow up in it. Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, um, <laughs> that was Staying Fat for Sarah Burns by Chris Crutcher. Whoa. And that was about a high schooler, a young guy who is best friends with a girl who is in a mental health ward in a catatonic state because um, she's... Do you guys do trigger warnings at the beginning of things that people might be triggered by? I haven't so far. Uh, we, we don't usually, but this I think this can serve right now as one. Sure, sure, sure. So she, she's... So his friend is... A victim of abuse and it talks about their friendship and issues that both of them face in this kind of transformative year in high school and uh, the subjects range from uh, religion, body image, abortion, and suicide and somehow out of all of those subjects, the uh, the part that got it protested in my class was a very brief mention of gay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I think, that being something that I like fought a kid on. I felt very dramatic because this kid was saying, like saying to the teacher, well, you know, it has that kind of it has that kind of stuff in it and i don't know if i frankly want to read that and i <laughs> turned around to him and i was like well i do i immediately regretted my stance because i was well, like what am i doing with this <laughs> um this isn't even the gayest book i could fight about <laughs> no it was it was so incidentally gay it also i mean it does sound though becky like you gravitated to a lot of the like more mature options in the YA side, like things that are dealing with like quite traumatic subjects potentially. Yeah. I don't know if that was like me looking for drama because I had a really chill life, (laughs) (laughs) which maybe, maybe the the young adult market had like people that, I don't know, people are either looking for, a reflection of stuff that they're experiencing or to borrow from other people in a kind of sensational way. Mm. That's a whole another episode, to be honest. It surely is. And I think the thing is that even if you had a really chill life, which I'm really pleased to hear you say that, of course, because, you know, I take some of the credit for that. But um, <laughs> I think that having the opportunity to read about people who don't have that kind of um, reminds you that one, the rest of the world doesn't function in the same way that you do, you know, so it makes you a more um, sort of sympathetic person to other people that you are liable to come into contact with. And I think um, that alongside that, you, you have to you have to see a, a, a wider world in order to be that sort of human being who's going to be, you know, understanding and sympathetic because we don't exist in... I, I was going to say we don't exist in a vacuum, but I'm not sure if it made sense, so I'm kind of taking it back a bit. Because technically we do. Space is a vacuum. Yeah, no oh, one yeah. is an island. Oh, 
No mum is an island. No, but I did see something um, on the street the other day said that there was going to be a mummers parade what? at one of the churches. Um, sorry. <laughs> oh, was... yeah, mummers. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Like marching band kind of. But yeah, but mummy. Are you, are you mummy or are you taking Yeah. I actually know a mummer. He's a lovely guy. The <laughs> Philly mummers are some, some good people. Yes. Um, the last, I did want to talk about the last YA book that I went looking for and read um, while not being a young adult. Uh, some point. Oh, yeah. You still read some YA now that you're an adult? I'm so just like, or is it just like a happenstance? Thing? Can you still read? I th- I, we don't know at this point, do we? If the last so, thing I read was why mostly pictures. Why haven't read Wrinkle in Time? <laughs> or any of the other books we mentioned. <laughs> Go on. The what, last tell us your YA. What was your last YA book that I read? Was it was The Hate You Give? by Angie Thomas, and I think it was because I heard an interview with her, or I heard it mentioned maybe in one of the, like during the pandemic when the reading festival was virtual, Jason Reynolds might have mentioned it. So I went and I, well, I listened to the audiobook. Do you guys count that as reading? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. hundred percent. That was our very first episode. That's was how that counts. Yeah, it counts. And did you enjoy it? I did. Um, and there's a follow-up to it uh, that I haven't read yet. And also the fantasy novel that Angie Thomas was shopping around before she got The Hate You Give published um, has since been published. So that is available and it is called Nick Blake and the Remarkables, The Manifestor Prophecy. Whoa, that Whoa. sounds like Whoa. a great title. How do you... You've got to have a huge front cover for that. I know, it's a long title. She said it got rejected like 200 times. How do you reject a title like that? <laughs> it folds out. Okay, um, so do you... Okay, so do you think that um, now that you've listened to all of my boring YA waffle and you've, you know, dipped your toe in again yourself, even though you're not really in that YA market, if we look at our numbers... You're not even in the NA market. Um, oops, sorry. <laughs> We're not doing the new adult. It's not a market. It's oh, awful. Okay, it's fine. silly. All right, whatever. Um, do you think that YA is a, a valid genre? Do you think it's important or not? If you do, why? Yeah. <laughs> have we have we convinced you? Has the past hour convinced you? Save YA, destroy YA. <laughs> I mean, did you appreciate at the end options. of this episode? There's just a big button. <laughs> you decide whether to keep it or not. Which I have to be honest, we shouldn't have left them with me. I'm a klutz. I have already pressed them both several times over the course uh, of recording. So I don't know what we're going to walk out to. I don't it know if be, YA is even there anymore. Yeah, we might be talking about a historic piece of literature. It like might have been. Theory. What is time? Might have been sucked up by the vacuum. so what if so you think it's um all right caesar yeah take your make your choice you think it's valid rebecca why do you think it's valid i think it's valid because why do you think it's important i i can't speak broadly for everyone but on a really personal level I think it's a good bridge between having read books strictly aged at young aged, strictly aimed at age groups like middle grade and below, and then stuff that's strictly aimed at like an adult fiction mar- reader market. Yeah, yeah. So it gives it gives you space to read just to read stories about people the age that you are. And then yeah. after, obviously, because I just said I read one in the last couple of years. So it also just gives you a book, a book, just a good book. That's a good story. So I'm, I don't know if this one is a stretch. This is my last question to you, really. So is there a young adult uh, character that was important to you as a young adult or that stands out because you thought, oh, God, they're like the bomb or... You know, or I'm so glad I'm not them, or I don't know, for any reason. 
Um, cool. Thank God. Batman. Not Margaret from <laughs> All Comes Back to Batman. Um, no. I'm so sorry. This is such a dead oh. end of an answer. But all um, right, episode's over. Go home. No, 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 no. Like I feel like every time I was reading a book, um, you know, like I, w- I would say probably most of the fiction that I read at that age, the main characters were probably female and or like female identifying and so i was probably harriet the spy now nah, because that's younger i know but i know that you like her though and i didn't well and i did harriet the spy i didn't read until i was an adult ah uh, true that we don't go when you read it though really but um <laughs> so characters that were important to me as a young adult I mean, Mum, I did borrow your copy of uh, Catcher in the Rye, and I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think I related to the character so much, but I did, but I did think I, I felt like I was borrowing some kind of, um, like, status just by reading the book. Kind of the same with The Bell Jar. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, well, you know. This is like my, this is my hall pass for. Mm. <laughs> yeah. When you've got your like troubled teen face on. During my chill life. Yeah. When you used to goth up and you wear your bondage <laughs> pants and your Doc Martins and things and go. Yeah, so much angst over nothing. I also know why the cage bird things. <laughs> I did not. Is there anything else you want to say or comment on anything we've talked about this evening, afternoon, morning, later on? We've decided time doesn't exist in this space. Um, Yeah, we exist in a vacuum. mm -hmm. Uh, Just thank you both for putting this together. Mom, I thought all the information that you pulled together was really impressive. And it covered a lot of ground really quickly, even though you kept apologizing for how much time it was taking. You, (laughs) You got a lot in there. Um, and I really just enjoyed having this chat with you guys. I really like the show. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for being here. And we, I know this was a last minute thing because really we only talked about it yesterday and you jumped right on in. So, uh, I appreciate your, um, commitment (laughs) and enthusiasm. So I think, I mean, unless anyone has anything more to say about YA. Oh, wait, I do. I wanted to say. Did you set um, that up for yourself? Yeah, that's right. I just alley-ooped me, baby. Um, well, I was I stole one of my notes as I was starting the wrap. That was good. I just wanted to also I wanted to mention the book um, Iron Widow by Shirin J. Zhao. I'm very sorry. I never get the uh, X um, quite right. Uh, they wrote a incredible. It's like. <sighs> Yu-Gi-Oh plus Pacific Rim. What? I thought I had it in this room, but I don't. It's an incredible, incredible YA based. uh, It's like a fictional retelling of this Chinese emperor, uh, Sechen Wu. Again, I really apologize for the way I pronounce that. Um, it, it, it was a YA book that made me feel very emotional that I read as an adult, like quite recently. Um, and it just like phenomenally played that balance between like, OK, the story is cool and flashy and fun, but it's also very serious and emotional and like about the things that you have to think about as an adult. Um, so highly recommend that and the sequel coming out, which might be called. Nope, I don't have it. I was going to try and just like, you know, sometimes you just say stuff. Heavenly Tyrant. I was so close. Um, But yeah, so Iron Widow, Heavenly Tyrant. Okay, now we can do that. Well, I just seen as you said you were just going to I'm just going to say one thing as well. Oh, okay, okay. Our, our first two-hour episode. <laughs> no, but just going to the YA thing, um, one of the things that it did make me think of when I was doing this research was how many good books there are uh, historically that we look back on, things like uh, books written by Mark Twain, that because they weren't in an era that was sort of labelled YA, you know, maybe we don't always think of them 
as that or we don't think of them at all really because when I was sort of rediscovering them as relevant texts or or just just reminding myself of stuff that I've read in the past I kind of got quite excited so I would really love to encourage people to go look at you know some some Mark Twain some um Jonathan Swift some Lewis Carroll some of those authors that you know were just breaking down the the boundaries in their time and that perhaps we don't think about them so much um nowadays so all of those authors who were telling tales in their times anyway that's all we've got for this week thank you so much for joining us on another delightful episode thank you becky for being here we love you so much we loved your contributions thank you again I loved you guys too. I love you guys. Not in a fixed time, not in a vacuum of time, but ongoing, past, present. You two are so sappy, do you know? Lateral, longitudinal. Heartwarming, but it's also, you know, you're great. Yeah, I can't imagine where we got it from. Anyway, now that we're done with the emotions, let's say good day, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. And go tell some tales. 